Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us for the final lesson in our series, Just Married. In the previous sessions, we've looked at the vow of priority and the vow of permanence as they apply it to personal relationships. This week, as lead pastor David Fossil guides us, we take a look at the vow of partnership and the vow of purity. Join us as Pastor Dave gives us some more insight on how to make our marriages and relationships stronger and better. One of my favorite marriage stories, some of you have heard me say it at weddings or such, is this couple who has been married for 70 years and they're having a 70-year wedding anniversary. The kids are there. The grandkids are there. The great, some of the grand, great grandkids are there. Friends from church, friends from work, friends from the neighborhood are there. Everybody's there to celebrate them for having been married for 70 years. They, they'd gotten early when in their 20s and now they're in their, in their 90s and both of them alive and they've been married all this time. And at some point in time during the party, the, the, the 90 plus year old husband raises his glass of champagne and everybody gets quiet. He wants to make a toast and he looks at his bride of 70 years and he says, I just want you to know. I love you. You've been tried and true for 70 years. Well, she's kind of hard of hearing, so she's like, well, what did he say? So again, you know, everybody, shh, let him say it again. For 70 years, you've proven to be tried and true. She still can't hear him, but she's trying to fix her hearing aid and back, you know, and she goes, what did he say? I said, for 70 years, you've proven to be tried and true. And she says to him, well, let me tell you something. After 70 years, I'm sick and tired of you too. <laughs> here's the good news you don't have to grow to be sick and tired of your spouse you can make some adjustments and that's what we're doing in this series we're going back to the blueprint we're going back to the manual we're looking at the architect and the designer of marriage and realize that if you make some adjustments marriage can be everything that you intended and wanted it to be and more We've been basing our study on two verses tucked away in the book of Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, two verses are given to us that are then repeated five times in the Bible. They're so important on the foundation and the importance of marriage. Here's what we read. Genesis 2, 24 and 25. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, week number one, we talked about the vow of priority. The vow of priority, based upon that word leave, where when you get married, you are, you are to, to sever the emotional umbilical cord that connects you to mom and dad, and you are to reattach it to your spouse. I gotta tell you, this vow is just as important for parents as it is for the couple. You have to learn to let your kid go to some extent and let them have their own marriage and their own family, right? And from that point on, the minute I say I do, what you're doing in this vow of priority is you're saying this, you are the most important human relationship that I have. Now, if you're married, your spouse needs to know that is true. If you're married, the spouse needs to hear that and your spouse needs to feel that. It's the vow of priority. That was week number one. You can listen to the podcast if you miss it. In week number two, we, we talked about the vow of, uh, of permanence. Based upon the, that, that word united, which in the Hebrew is to be glued together. 
You're to be glued together. And the vow of permanence says is that I'm, I'm going to stick this thing out called marriage. I'm, I'm, through ups and downs, through valleys and mountaintops, through good and bad, I'm going to stick it out. It's the vow of permanence. And it's very difficult to do, but we talked about a number of different ways to do it, even though our culture and society kind of bails on marriage a lot. God doesn't want us to do that. He doesn't want you to do that because of what it does to you and, and even how it reflects on Him. Today we're going to wrap up our series and we're going to start by looking at the third vow found in these verses. The vow of partnership is what we're going to call it. The vow of partnership. And you know, we're told to leave and we're told to be united and then they will become one flesh. Now if you're jotting down notes, you want to write this down. Let's put the definition of the vow of partnership. It is when you are saying, I promise to cultivate our relationship. Just like you would cultivate a garden, I promise to do that in our relationship. I'm going to cultivate our relationship and I'm always going to stride towards intimacy. They become one. Now, I don't even have to go to the Hebrew. Just in the English language, you can see that that phrase, to become one, is something that is, it's a process. It doesn't say they became one. No, they become one. Why? It's because when you stand in front of the pastor, and, and, and whether it's me or someone else, and I say, you know, based, of, based upon your vows and your commitments, that the fact that you've given each other rings, I now declare you husband and wife. I look at the groom and say, you may now kiss your bride. That doesn't mean you automatically have the vow of partnership. No. It begins you have begun the vow of partnership. You see, vow number one, you have to leave. Vow number two, you have to cleave. Vow number three, you really... You've got to weave. You are weaving your life into their relationship. You are choosing to say, I'm going to partner with you. We are going to build a companionship and a friendship. And i got to tell you, it's far beyond having a joint checking account. It goes far beyond parenting the same kids. It goes far beyond having the same last name. Those things are all good, but, but that's not really what is being meant when we talk about Becoming one, cultivating our relationship, developing intimacy. You all know the name Rodney Dangerfield, comedian and actor, 10, 15 years ago. He's especially popular. At one point in time, in one of his bits, he said this. I I wrote it down at the time. He's talking about marriage and his spouse. We sleep in separate rooms. We have dinner apart. We take separate vacations, but we're doing everything we can to keep our marriage together. And that, yet that is exactly how some of us are. We assume that because I have a ring on my finger and she has a ring on her finger that this is happening. No, this is active. This requires a ton of work. You've got to cultivate that relationship. You've got to build intimacy. Now, if you've got a study guide, I've given you six or seven different types of intimacy. Let me show you what I mean. Let's put them on the screen. I'm going to walk through them with you, right? Um, The first one, emotional intimacy. This is closeness that comes through shared feelings. When Sandy and I got married, we had this thing, and it's still kind of popular today, but it was especially popular back then. It's called the Unity Candle. And at one point in time, after you've done the vows, and there's a special music and something, you know, you go to the Unity Candle, and it's this big candle in the middle. There's two candles on either side, and Sandy grabs one candle, and I grab another candle, and together we light the middle candle. And symbolically, what you're saying is, we are committing to the vow of partnership. We are becoming one. Okay? This is the first step in doing that. Today, there's a new thing that couples are doing. I think it's super cool. I wish we could have done this. It's the same symbolism. It's called the sand ceremony. 
And what they do is they have two different, like, you know, nice vases of sand. One is like a, a, a really bright, you know, kind of a, a purple or a yellow or something blue, you know. And then the other one is a different color sand. And at some point in time, the couple come together and they each take their container of sand and they, they together they pour into one container. And not only is it super cool, you can actually put it in your living room, it looks really neat, but it, visually, you could see that that sand is intertwined, but it's still distinct. That it's, it's the vow of partnership. We are two distinct individuals coming together and doing what we can to weave into each other's life, to become partners, to become companions. And it's difficult, and sometimes it's messy, but it's one of the key, most foundational principles to a healthy relationship in a marriage. It's emotional intimacy. You have mental or intellectual in- intimacy. Now, th- that is mutual understanding of life goals and direction of the family. Many of you know Bill Davis. He taught about a month ago. He and his wife attend this church. He's one of the leaders of this of our church. He and his wife, every single year, they have this weekend getaway. And it's not a romantic getaway. You know what it is? They go away, just the two of them, and all they do is think through family goals. They, they do mental intimacy, intellectual intimacy. They, they make sure, are we on the same page? Are we going in the right direction? What, what do we need to put down as our goals to accomplish this year, in the next three years? Now, I don't, I'm not saying you have to go away on a weekend to do this. I think it's a pretty cool idea. What I am saying is this. Are you both on the same page of where you're going as a couple or as a family? Do you have that figured out? Or are you kind of just flying by the seat of your pants? I would like to suggest that this is important. Mental or intellectual uh, intimacy, the exchange of ideas and, and the coming to an agreement of, okay, this is where we're going as a family. You've got to decide that because then if you don't, other people decide it for you. You don't want that. The next one is recreational intimacy. This is just doing fun things together. Now, I, I'm not saying that, that he has to go and do crafts with her and I'm not saying that she has to go golfing with, with him, but I'm saying you've got to find out something that you guys enjoy doing together. It can't just be running errands. It's got to be more than that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with you. You have to do that. You have to find something you enjoy doing together. It's recreational intimacy. Conversational or communication intimacy is communication that goes deeper than life updates. What's a life update? It goes like this. How was your day? And they tell you what happened. And then they say, and how was your day? Is this important? Sure, it's important. That's life. Life updates. But communication or conversational intimacy goes deeper than that. In preparation for this study, I uh, came across a survey. I double-checked it because when I read it, it blew my mind. The, the statistic to me seemed wrong. I'm just going to tell you what I found. A survey indicated that 80 of married women, 8 out of 10, do not feel that they have conversational intimacy in their marriage. 8 out of 10 women don't think they have it in their marriage. 50% of female divorcees say that when they were married, those years were some of the loneliest of their life. Guys, we got some work to do here. This is, this, this is not being, me being stereotypical. The reality is that women and wives cherish 
and deeply desire conversations with their husband that go beyond life updates. Do you remember when we used to date them? We used to have no problem talking to them on the phone for hours. And now we give them seven minutes a night while we're watching ESPN. Now here's the point. We can change this. I know you want to change it. And you know how it is. I know how it is. You get into a rut. And you don't realize how significant it is. It's important. And I'm just challenging you guys. Make this a priority. Right? She wants to talk. You want to talk. There's something inside of us that deeply desires this intimacy. You've got to work at it. Conversational or communication intimacy. Financial intimacy. This is... Uh, being on the same page with respect to spending, saving, and giving. You do know that 50% of all divorces indicate that finances and a lack of agreement on finances was a primary cause for their marriage blowing up. Don't tell me this doesn't matter. And some of you are all jacked up in this area. One of you is spending like crazy. The other one's trying to save. You have separate accounts. You're on completely different pages financially. You have got to figure this out. I don't, I'm not saying you have to have like a, some detailed budget with envelopes of what you can spend or not spend. Some of you do that and that's completely fine. I am saying you better be on the same page. You better have a basic understanding of what are we spending money on? What are we not spending money on? Are we going to do this? Are we not going to do this? It's financial intimacy. And if you don't have it, it begins to affect all the other ones. Okay? Spiritual intimacy. Spiritual intimacy, see, that seems to be the, the, the obvious one that I would mention, right? The Bible talks about the importance of us growing together as husband and wife in our faith. That's why this book, the Bible, says that before you get married, you better make sure you're on the same page spiritually. Because if you're not, you're asking for trouble. Now, just because you're on the same page spiritually when you get married doesn't mean you stay on the same page. That's why it's so important that you're both in church together, ideally. You're both growing together and heading in the same direction as you grow in faith. Spiritual intimacy, a shared understanding of who Jesus is, a shared desire to grow closer to God. That's important, right? Making time. I mean, I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but do do we as husbands and wives pray together beyond a meal? That's spiritual intimacy. You've got to try and get to that point. It's important, right? The last one, physical intimacy, is the obvious one. It's the obvious one because that's even how we use the word in English language. When we talk about a couple being intimate, we all know that means they slept together, right? That's the idea. Physical intimacy is, is very important. I heard it said, I think this is rather clever and, and I think true, um, that Satan, uh, before a couple is married, does everything he can to bring that couple together sexually. And once they are married, he does everything he can to keep them separate sexually. I think that's rather clever because I, I see that. I see that. Now, again, this is not me being gender biased, but when I said that, um, that conversation tends to be a, a high value for wives and women, likewise... Um, sexual or physical intimacy tends to be a high value and very important for men or husbands. Interestingly enough, a, a recent survey produced by Stanford University surprisingly indicated that men especially like making love to their wives on days that start with the letter T. Tuesday, Thursday, today, tomorrow. I don't know. 
Some of the guys are like, yeah, that's uh. Did you hear about this church that, um, that had, they were talking about the same talk, about, about the importance of the sexual union between husband and wife and the value of that. And they were talking about, they had a series on it. And, and at the end, the pastor g- issued a 30-day sex challenge. Can you, he basically challenged the couples for 30 days straight, I want you guys to have sex. Some of the guys are like, where's that church? Maybe we can drive to that church. It was in Florida. I think that's a little over the top. I think that's a little crazy, you know? All I'm just going to say is, they're all important. Okay? That's what I'm trying to say. They're all important. Now, before I transition, do you have the guts? Do you have the courage as a married couple to look at those different types of intimacy and talk about how you guys are doing? Because my instinct is that every marriage, you could look at a couple of these and say, we're doing pretty good at that. And then you could also look and say, you know what? Uh, not so good there. Do you have the courage to do that? I can give you the information. Now you've got a dialogue about it. And what? Cultivate your relationship. For the last three weeks, I keep telling you that marriage is not like a Duraflame. You can't just expect the fire of love to burn in your marriage as you sit back on the couch and do nothing. You can't expect it to be like this. I brought another prop to show you what real marriage should look like. It's, it's more like this, okay? So that you can... No, no, I'm just kidding. No. Every time I use one of these suckers, a shovel, I sweat. Every time I do it, my arms get tired. Every time I do it, I get thirsty. Why? Because every time I use a sucker, I can't take this to the backyard, just leave it like this, and the, the hole is going to dig itself. Every time you use one of these suckers, my hands get a little bit sore, right? You want a good marriage? You're going to have to work. You're going to have to sweat. Every once in a while, it's going to get dinged up. You're going to have to dig down deep within you and bring things up that you never thought you were going to have to do. Marriage is a lot more like using one of these than a Duraflame log. It takes work. It takes work. But if you use it properly and you accomplish what you need to do back in the backyard or in your marriage, you will get more out of it than you ever expected. I'm just, just simple stuff. Just put more effort into your marriage. Dig a little deeper. Make the point to cultivate a little bit more. Why? Because the vow of partnership says, I'm going to build into my marriage. I'm going to cultivate that relationship. And I will strive towards having intimacy with you. All of them. All of them. Okay, so here's what we've learned so far. Let's put the summary slide up there, Larry. We've learned so far the vow of priority. You're most important in my life. The vow of permanence. I'm going to stick with you. The vow of partnership. I'm going to cultivate our relationship and have intimacy. The last one, we're going to wrap up our series. It's the vow of purity. The vow of purity found in that last phrase, they were both naked and they felt no shame. The most misunderstood phrase in this entire two verses, the thing, I, I, I learned some brand new stuff in the last couple of weeks studying this phrase. I think it's absolutely fabulous. Um, if you're jotting down notes, here's what the vow of purity means. Let's put it on the screen. It's you being willing to say, I promise to be transparent about who I am. And I promise to commit to become who God wants me to be. 
I promise to be transparent about who I am, and I promise to become who God wants me to be. Now, let me link this together for you, because there's misunderstanding about what this phrase means. They were both naked and felt no shame. Now, is that really saying that Adam and Eve were just walking around the Garden of Eden butt naked, and they had no problem with who they are physically? No, that's not what that's saying, right? That is not what that is saying. When it talks about being naked, it's not... Now, obviously, they were in Genesis 1 and 2. But it's talking about emotional nakedness. It's talking about relational nakedness. It's saying, basically, I'm an open book. I'm going to be open. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be transparent. What you see is what you get. I'm not going to hide anything from you. I'm essentially naked. I'm open. And when I share that with my spouse... I'm not, I'm not going to feel any shame. The idea is feel. Because when we do things in our past that are wrong or now, Satan and others like to whisper in our ear and go, you're such a loser. But if I share this in the context of my marriage relationship, what I should feel is unconditional love and acceptance. This is tough. This is tough stuff. But if you want Marriage the way God intended it to be, I, I promise you, you have to do this. You have to do this. Our tendency is to hide things. I would like to suggest something different. Let me give you just a couple steps. Let's put it up there. I want to encourage you to take the risk to confess secrets in your life to your spouse. This is a massive risk. Because our tendency is if we've done something wrong or bad or embarrassing or something's going on that we don't want to worry them about, we just keep it to ourselves. That's how we're trained to, to live our lives. What, why is this such a big deal? What, why, why am I challenging you to take this risk? Because it could backfire, Pastor. Yeah. Why am I challenging you to do this? It's very simple. Because where secrets live, intimacy dies. I don't have a blank for you to fill out, but if you're taking notes, that might be worth writing down. Where secrets live, intimacy dies. You see, if you and I are friends, and I keep things from you, and I don't share things to, uh, to you about who I am, all that means is we don't have as close a friendship. And if it's just among friends, it may not be the end of the deal. But if it's among spouses, now you've got a significant problem. Because that secret can grow. And now you have a separate life independent of your spouse. And all the other vows and commitments now are now affected because I'm keeping stuff from you. Take the risk. Step number two, accept the confession with grace. You see, when your spouse takes the risk to say, I need to talk to you about something. I want, I want to talk to you about something I'm thinking about. I want to talk to you about fears in my life. I want to talk to you about a screw-up thing I did when I was, whenever, years ago. And I, I just want you to know. Don't throw it back in their face. You might have to take a deep breath, but accept their confession with grace. Give them what God gave you. Grace. And then the obvious is commit to healing together. I mean, the reason we hide is because there's either some discomfort or some embarrassment or some pain. Grow together. Heal together. That, that's my challenge to you. Now, you go, okay, I got that, but 
How do I do this? Because this seems really hard. Let me share with you what I got with this new thing that I learned as I studied and learned and talked to others. It was very helpful to me because I, I, I was hard to understand this, you know, nakedness. Everything. Let me, you have to contrast what is happening in Genesis 2 with what is happening in Genesis 3 and bring the concepts together. And then you have like an aha moment. Let me show you what I mean. Let's put Genesis chapter 2 up there. You see the highlighted phrases that we're talking about. They were both naked and they felt no shame. We've talked about the idea that, yeah... Literally, they were naked, but the principle is about being honest and transparent and vulnerable and not being condemned for it. Now, you look at what happens in Genesis 3 and notice the contrast and the overlap, the nakedness and the shame. Genesis chapter 3. Then, the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were opened and they realized they were naked. Now, I want you to stop for a moment. Do you really think in Genesis chapter 3, they all of a sudden realize, oh my goodness, I'm not wearing underwear. What's go-? No, they knew they were naked. There's something else going on here. They realized they were naked, and now notice, they made coverings for themselves. You see, they were open and vulnerable and transparent, but something happened and they started to do this. And they started to cover up. Not just literally, but emotionally and relationally. And it gets worse. They made coverings for themselves, and then they heard the sound of the Lord God as He was walking in the garden, and they hid from the Lord God as well. In Genesis chapter 2, you have a perfect example of a relationship. Something happens in Genesis chapter 3, and everything comes tumbling down. What happened? What happened is that Genesis chapter 3 is when everything went wrong. Genesis 3 is is when man rebelled against God and we sinned. You see, it's in this last vow and commitment where God is reintroduced in the marriage equation. The one thing that most damages a relationship or a friendship and especially a marriage is sin. Nothing is more damaging because you start to close up. And you start to hide. And the foundation of your relationship begins to crumble. You want a good relationship? You want your marriage to be everything you want it to be? Then eliminate sin from your life. You can't control your spouse. You control you. Eliminate sin. Grow closer to God. Take steps to become a more committed follower of Jesus Christ. Reintroduce God into your marriage. Bring Him back in. By the way, statistical evidence supports what I'm saying. I have told you in this series that divorce rates in the United States of America is 50%. But for the couples who are trying to do this, for the couples who are trying to live for Jesus, for those who are taking seriously who they are in Christ and trying to grow closer to God, the statistics are different. Let me tell you, read it to you. Couples who read their Bibles, pray, and attend church together... That divorce rate is 1 out of 1,287, less than 1%. Don't tell me God doesn't make a difference, because He does. He does. Now, is it going to be hard work? Sure, it's going to be hard work. But it's worth the payoff. It's worth the payoff. Let's put the summary slide up there. That's not easy. It's going to take a lot of work. You're going to get calluses on your hands, and you're going to sweat, and you're going to be tired, but it's worth it.
It's worth it. By the way, let me just close with this. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, makes a very interesting illustration. Um, he says, you know what makes marriage work? Some this stuff. It's the same thing that makes your relationship with God work. And in that chapter, God says that just like a husband is to treat his wife, so Jesus treats his bride, the church. And let me show you. What do you need to have a relationship with God? Vow of purity at the bottom. You need to eliminate sin from your life and be open and honest with him. You need the vow of partnership. You need to become one with God. You need the vow of permanence. It's not an off and on relationship. It's not like I'm going to follow Jesus during this time of life and then when... No, it's, it's, I'm, I'm sealed to Him. And you need the vow of priority. Your spouse may be the most important human relationship you have, but God is the most important of all. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. You see, this works for marriage just as much as it works for your relationship with God. Here's my challenge to you. If you right now are to rate your marriage from 1 to 10, just give it a score. It could be 3, could be 6, could be 8, whatever it is. Give yourself a score. You may not be, impro- be able to improve it by 5, 6 points. But you can improve it by 1 or 2 right now. Just by some of the very basic things you've, we've covered, you can improve your marriage and relationship right now. And that's my challenge to you. Improve it. Apply what you've learned. Let's stand, we'll close in a word of prayer, and I will let you get going. Heavenly Father, thank you for the marriages that are represented here in this church. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would help them improve their marriage score by a couple points. Make it better. Give them, let them see the light of the tunnel. They can improve this. It's going to be hard, uh, but we can do this. Father, I pray for the singles that are here. I pray that you would guide them if they want to get married to to find that person that they they would connect with, that you would want them to be with. Father, as they're trying to find that person, remind them that it's not just about finding the right person, it's about being the right person as well. Father, thank you that your word is so incredibly practical. Thank you for what you've taught me about how I can be a better husband, how I can have a, a better marriage. Father, we love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.